Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. This coming Saturday, I'll be going to my uh, grandfather's funeral. And, um, you know, going to funerals, they're always uh, really interesting events. It's, it's, it's really nice to hear about the lives of those that you loved and, and thinking about the kind of life that they lived. And, and I typically get really introspective and I I really honestly love going to funerals because by the time it's over, I just have come away with a whole new outlook on how I live my life. You know, you, you reflect on the person who's died, and you think about the way that they lived their life, and you wonder, you know, is, if, if I am living the way that I should be living, for what purpose am I living? Over the past couple of weeks, uh, we've had this kind of mini-series where we've been talking about the image of God and what it means to be made in the image of God. And part of what we're trying to get at in this series is an explanation of why you're here, of what your purpose is in life. We've been talking about the image of God, and it's a concept that runs throughout the scriptures, but it takes an especially prominent role in the creation of man. We read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, so God created man in his own, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Being in the image of God means that we are like him. And Jordan, a couple of weeks ago, talked a little bit about that, how we are like God. It also means that we represent him to the world. That you, being born in the image of God, made in the image of God, are representing God to the world. And it comes with responsibility. Genesis goes on in verse 28 to say, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Being made in the image of God gave mankind responsibility to rule as God's image bearers over his creation. Mankind was given the task to rule over God's creation as his stewards. They were given this delegated authority to rule on his behalf. In the ancient Near East, in the time uh, in which Israel lived, in the area around Israel, kings would put statues of themselves throughout their territory to say, this land belongs to me, and I have authority here. So if you ever saw, as you're traveling through the ancient Near East, you saw a statue of Pharaoh, you knew that Pharaoh has authority here. And that's what God did with humans. That he set them up as his image to go through the earth, declaring the authority of God over creation and ruling on his behalf. This uh, reminds me of something that uh, happened in high school. In high school, my, my baseball coach would tell us, sometimes you know, on a Friday during practice or something or Thursday, he would say, if you're going out this weekend, if you're going to go to a movie or go to a football game, and if you're going to wear your baseball cap, you better be on your best behavior. He would say, you need to act responsibly. Don't act in a way that would embarrass yourself because when you wear that hat, you're representing this school and this team and you're representing me. And so it matters how you act. And given that, it, was probably, it probably would have been a better idea if most of us had not even worn our caps that weekend. Because the way that we behaved reflected on our coach. 
And it's the same thing with us as human beings, that the way that we behave reflects on God. And we read through the Old Testament and read about how Israel was charged with this as a kingdom of priests. They were responsible for representing God to the nations. To all the nations around them that they were showing them what God was like. But, like some people on my baseball team, Israel did not do a very good job of representing God to the nations. We read about how instead of bearing God's image to the world, they turned to worship other images of idols, of of gods of the nations around them. Instead of representing the God of Israel, they became like the idols that they worshipped, things of wood and stone. They became deaf, dumb, and blind. We read in Psalm 135, and Dustin read this for us last week, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. You are what you worship. And what we find is that the people of Israel over and over again turn to these idols. And instead of ruling with God's love and mercy and justice in the world, they oppress the weak and they join with those who killed for profit. They abuse the power that God had given them. And by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, we have to wonder how in the world are the people of the world going to know what God looks like? If those who he had set apart in Israel to explain to the world what God looks like have failed to do that, how is the world going to know who God is? To a world which did not know God, the Father sent his Son, the one whom the world had only known through a veil, the one whom he could only let Moses see his backside, the one whom Israel could not image. He became flesh that we might see him with our own eyes. Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We've all had experiences in our lives when God seemed invisible. We've all had times whenever we prayed prayers, desperate prayers, that went, seemed to have gone into an empty room with no reply. It's, we've had times where at every turn it seems like we're running out of luck. We're confused and we're scared and we wonder, where is God? There was a time before Jesus when the whole world would be asking this question, where is God? Because the ones who were supposed to be telling them about him weren't doing that. And when Israel failed to show what God was like to the world, God was invisible. How could anyone see him? But God did not leave us there, waiting for us to find him, like the woman in search of a lost coin, like a shepherd in search of his lost sheep. God came searching for the people whom he loved and created. He came in search of the ones that he loved. He came in search for you. He would not accept 
his being invisible to a suffering world. So he took on flesh. God took on flesh, became man, and bore his own image that we might know him. It is in Christ that we can see God. In our moments of darkness, we have Emmanuel, God with us. Now this is a major theme that we see running through John's Gospel. That when we see the Son, we have seen the Father. That's why John, John writes in his prologue in John 1.18, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Now sometimes we read John and, and we get maybe a little bit confused because John uses poetic language. And so it's good if we can slow down and, and ask, what is John saying here? What is he talking about? He says no one has ever seen God. We, we see this theme continued about how no one in the Old Testament was able to look on God in his holiness. No one has ever seen him. But then he goes on to talk about the only God who is at the Father's side. Who is this person? He says that he's God, but he also says that he's at the Father's side. He's talking about Jesus. And what does he say about him? He says that Jesus has made him known. Jesus has made God known. That Jesus has done what Israel and what we have all failed to do by making God known to the world. As a newsboy who would walk through the streets with newspapers in hand, declaring the news to the public, making known to the public that the country is at war, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth declares to the world that this is what God looks like. Now as we read through John's Gospel, we can see that Jesus shows to the world, he declares to the world what God is like over and over again. In John 2, as he turns water into wine, Jesus shows us the power of God over creation. And again in John chapter 2, as he drives the profiteering merchants out of the temple, he shows God's disgust for greed and for oppression. And in chapter 4, he, he heals an official's son who was on the brink of death, showing that, God's, that has, God has care for the sick. And in John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who hadn't been able to walk for 38 years, showing God's care for those society had deemed as worthless. In John 6, he feeds thousands of people, showing that God cares for our everyday needs. And in John 9, Jesus gives sight to a man who was born blind showing that God desires that all who are blind would see. And then in the climax of Jesus' earthly signs, in John chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead, showing that God has power even over death. Jesus has made the Father known. He is the image of God. And that explains what Jesus says in his final hours as he's sitting around a table with his closest disciples gathered around him. In John chapter 14, he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, 
you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Those who see Jesus see the Father, for he is one with the Father. Jesus is God in the flesh, the image of God. And the fact that Christ imaged God so well is an incredible thing. I mean, think about the way that he lived his life. It's an incredible life, like a, like a priceless painting. He deserves all the praise and adoration we could possibly give him just for the way that he lived his life. Because of the way that he imaged God, because of what he did and who he is, he should have had people waiting on him hand and foot. He could have made everyone in the world his servants, and it would have been justified. He was that worthy. And what did he do with all of that worth? Paul writes in Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which, was, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of of God. Think about that. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Dustin talked last week about how when humans are given charge to rightly handle power, they abuse it over and over again. We see that in our own lives, how whenever we have some power, when we have the smallest victory, when some, someone says something good about us, we suddenly puff ourselves up and we think that the world revolves around us. I remember there was a time when I was uh, about four years old, so this would be one of my earliest memories. I had, uh, was four or five years old, I had my tonsils taken out. And I have just a few memories of, of that event. And I remember it being pretty painful. And I remember that uh, when I went home from the hospital, my parents told me basically all you have to do is just sit on the couch and eat ice cream all day and, and you know, don't worry about anything and just relax and try to be comfortable. And so it was a pretty great, you know, pretty good gig for me. And they, they even said that you're in charge of the TV, so whatever you want to watch, that's what we're going to watch. Oh, the power. <laughs> and of course, I abused it. And I can still remember sitting there on the couch, and I wasn't even watching anything, and I didn't necessarily want to watch anything, but my sister was putting in a Barbie movie because she wanted to watch a Barbie movie. And of course, I didn't want to watch a Barbie movie, so I told her, take that out. And I reminded her that I'm in charge of what we watch, and I'm saying we're not watching that. And it wasn't that I needed to watch a movie to comfort me. It was just that I didn't want her to watch a Barbie movie. I just wanted to use my power to make everybody do exactly what I wanted. Isn't that how we live so often? We may be older than four years old, but we find ways 
to make people do what we want them to do. We abuse whatever power we have. But that's not who God is. Above everything that Jesus had done previously, healing the sick, raising the dead, he finally showed us what God is ultimately like by dying on the cross. He could have been pampered, but instead he chose to be beaten. He could have had, you could have chosen a crown of gold, but instead he chose a crown of thorns. He could have chosen to be weighted on hand and foot, but instead he chose to have his hands and feet nailed to a cross. He could have chosen to be lifted up on shoulders, but instead he chose to be lifted up and hung on a tree. Because that is who God is. When we look at the life of Christ, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, try to imagine somebody who actually lives like that. It would be beautiful and glorious to image God, to show the world what God is really like. That kind of life would be absolutely glorious. And when the New Testament talks about how, God, how Jesus images the Father, he talks, it talks about how Jesus is the image of God and, and how when we see Jesus, we see the Father, it often associates that with glory. We read in Hebrews 1 and 3 that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In John 1 and 14, it says, Then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we read in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Being a true image of God is a glorious way to live. This is what you were created for, a life of glory. And when we choose to serve idols, when we choose to serve other things, people, ourselves, we give that up. We exchange that glory that God has freely given us for things far less glorious. We read about this in Romans chapter 1. And Paul says, claiming to be wise, speaking of people throughout history, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. You see what we've done? When we, refused, when we refused to be images of God, when we refused to represent God to the world and we idolize other things, we're giving up what makes our lives so special. People in our culture really want to be told that their lives are important and they have meaning and that they're special and they have value. They want to hear that their lives mean something. Well, the Bible tells us that the very fact that we are all individually made in the image of God gives our lives inherent value. But we're so quick to disregard it. Could it be that our hearts are crying out 
because we are leaving behind the very thing that makes us valuable. That we are made to image the one true God of the universe. That is where our lives will find purpose and fulfillment. But every one of us has fallen short. Every one of us has given up this glory. As Paul writes in in chapter 3 and 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all given it up. We've all been presented with this life, a wonderful life. And we've all exchanged it for something much worse. But we aren't without hope. Because God still offers that glory to us. And we read in chapter 8, Paul writes later on in the same letter, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. In order that we may also be glorified with him. God's holding up that glory, telling you, you can live that life, provided you suffer with Christ. This message that Paul says here, it's a tough one, but it's consistent with what we read of Jesus, what we read in the Gospels. We read Jesus talking about how the life that he calls us to and the life that he lived is one that embraces suffering for the good of others. Jesus tells us that there is no crown without the cross. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24 that if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Conforming to the pattern of Christ. Dying to self and living to God. This is what it means to suffer with Christ. And this is how we, again, will be glorified. When we cry out, because it feels like our lives have no meaning, we have to ask ourselves, for what purpose have I been living? Have I been living for myself and my own comfort? The call of Christ is to take up a cross. It's a call to die to self. If we are still living lives that are totally focused on serving self, we will never be fulfilled. That's not what we were made for. Think of a Corvette. Now, a Corvette is a very nice car. I'm sure most of us would agree, even if you're not a Chevy person, you probably agree that a Corvette is pretty good. If somebody offered you a Corvette, I don't think you would turn it down. It's a nice car. And it drives fast. It's sleek. It looks good. It sounds good. When it drives by, everybody's heads turn, and they watch it, and they say, ooh, look at that. That's nice. But it was made for a specific purpose. It was made to drive really fast on smooth roads. If you had a Corvette and you decided to take it off-roading one day, you would not get very far. You You would soon learn that the rough terrain is more suitable for something like a Jeep. That Corvettes are just not made for that kind of driving. And so if you did that, you'd find yourself high-centered somewhere, thinking, this is a terrible car. What's wrong with this car? In reality, you're just using it for a purpose other than what it was created for. 
you have been handmade by a God that loves and knows you. And He made you with a purpose. If you try to live your life for other purposes, don't be surprised when things don't work out. When you feel or when you don't feel fulfilled, when you feel that you have no hope and no value. You were made for a specific purpose, and the best life that you can live is to fulfill the purpose for which you have been created. And that purpose is to represent God to the world by following Christ, by being remade into the image of Christ, by joining in Christ's suffering, by living for others and not for yourself. So how can you show the world what God is like? How can you help the world see God? Husbands, when you get in a fight with your wife, go do the dishes. Even if you feel like you are totally in the right and they don't deserve it, Go do the dishes. Because that's what God is like. God is always in the right, and you don't deserve His mercy and His love. But He has gone through to extreme lengths to give you His love. So extend that to your wife. Christ was concerned with the well-being of others, and so should you be. Care for your neighbors who need your help, because that's who God is. Be a little less concerned with your 401k, and be a little more concerned with the health of your friends, because that's who God is. Be a little less concerned with looking good in front of your boss, and be more concerned with not letting your co-workers look bad in front of your boss, because that's who God is. Be a little less concerned with your time being wasted, and more concerned that others get the attention that they need, because that is who God is. This is the life you were created for. Imaging God to everyone around you. So that when others see you, they know the love of God. And if you're sitting there thinking, how in the world can I live this way? How can I possibly live the way that Christ lived his life? And I'm not claiming that we can easily just do everything that Christ did and live perfectly, and and I'm I'm not saying that at all. But there is something that can give us strength to help us in imaging God. We have a source of strength. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. And we read that we have help in being transformed into the image of Christ. And we do that by looking on Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul is saying that we are transformed 
into the image of Christ slowly over time as we look on Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful statement. Just sit there and think about that. As we look on Christ, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another into his image. It makes me think of a, a young kid who wants to be a professional basketball player. And he's got posters of professional basketball players all on his walls. And he looks at them for strength and for motivation. So we too, in this life of trying to show God to the world, must look on Christ. But what does it mean for us to look on Christ? What does it mean to behold the glory of the Lord? Paul goes on to explain that we behold the glory of the Lord by hearing the gospel. In chapter 4, we read, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Listen here, he's talking about the gospel. Though even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul compares what happens when we hear the gospel to what happened at the creation of the world whenever God said, let there be light. Paul's saying, when you hear the gospel preached to you, that same voice is commanding in your heart, let there be light. That's where we draw our strength. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The gospel is what can change us. That is why it is so important for Christians to hear the gospel over and over again. Because we have to have the strength which the gospel gives us. By ourselves, we can only do so much. We can only image God to the world so well. But when we hear the gospel, when we behold the face of the Lord Jesus, we are transformed into the image of of Christ. So preach the gospel to yourself. As you attempt to image God, think back on the salvation that you have by the grace of God. Remember the love that Jesus poured out on the cross and then go be the image of Christ. And if you struggle with this, if you struggle sacrificing your life for the good of others, Remember the gospel. Meditate on Isaiah 53. Think about what Christ has done for you. Be the image of Christ to the world, that they too might know God's love. And while we are living our lives and trying our best to image Christ, we look forward to the day when we will really see him, when we will really behold the face of Jesus 
and we will be like him. John writes in 1 John 3 and 2 that, when, that we know when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. What a wonderful day that will be when after our whole lives of looking on the face of Jesus in his gospel, when we will see him face to face and we will finally be as he is in the image of God. So be that image. Reflect the image of Christ to the world. And as you do that, lean on the gospel for your strength. If there's anybody here this morning who needs the help of the church, we want to help you. We'll ask that you come forward and sit on one of these pews as we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.